Welcome to Backspin. Thanks to the good people at Inside Golf. I'm here, Steve Anderson, and I'm talking with this bloke over here, Larry Canning. Hello to you, Larry. Steve, and a very good, I was going to say morning or afternoon, a very good hello. Yeah, greetings one to you One of the best too. hellos I've ever given right one, to one you, of, Steve. One of the great hellos of podcast history. And hello, listeners, one. too. Good Sorry. to be with you once again. Larry, I don't know whether you remember a few weeks ago talking to a fella named Dean Hurden. Good friend of mine, Dean Hurden. Yes. Terrific bloke. Great guy. One of the great caddies, one of the great unsung caddy heroes of golf. I reckon he's a caddy hero. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely a caddy hero of mine. But he was unsung until we put him under the spotlight. Now we're singing. Do you remember? Well, Dean Dean's pretty well known in in Korea, South Korea. Yes, yes, he, he caddies in South Korea. Yeah, he's he's one of the leading caddies over. He's one of the caddying heroes in South Korea. But we spoke a few weeks ago with Dean Hurden about the possibility of making his way up to North Korea. That's right. Yes, we did talk about that. Now, since we spoke about that in backspin a few weeks ago. What's happened? It's no coincidence, is it, Steve, now that I'm thinking about it? Absolutely no coincidence. For the people who don't know what I'm talking about, Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader, has been making a bigger effort to forge closer ties with South Korea and the rest of the world, particularly the USA. Why? Do you know what my theory is? It's far away. He heard backspin. He did. He heard that there was a possibility Dean Hurden would come across the demilitarized zone do a bit of caddying for people. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I it, think it's, I'm it, very it right. falls into place, Stephen, doesn't it? Dean Hurden, we salute you. Trump will say it was all down to him. I yeah. reckon it's all down to Dean Hurden. Dean Trump. And his appearance on Backspin. Yeah, coffee coffee Hurden. <laughs> <laughs> overalls, caddy overalls. Remember his story <laughs> yeah, about yeah. the caddy overalls? Oh, one, one of the great moments. That was disgraceful. Anyhow, that was weeks ago. Uh, today, Larry, we are talking with a bloke who got you pretty excited a few weeks ago, only a young bloke from Tasmania. Why did you get so excited about this bloke? Oh, look, it was it was the Victorian Open, Steve, and, and, and Simon won the tournament. Simon who? Simon Hawks, I'm sorry. Simon Hawks, the Tasmanian, won the Victorian Open, which is now a Tier 1 event, one of our biggest events in the country. Um, and he's, But he's, it was his background story leading up to that tournament win, which really intrigued me. And, and, and you know, it was because mainly because he was a um, he is a PGA member, a fully fledged PGA member. He's done a three year apprenticeship, so he's uh, he's one of us, Steve. He's a um, a vocational member, we call it. So not many of the tour players these days go through that system. They they usually just turn you know have a good amateur career, then turn professional with a with a manager and a masseur and a bloke that cleans his teeth and you know all that sort of stuff. A team. No, not not in the case of Simon. He went through the hard way and won the Vic Open from virtually nowhere. One of the, you know, the one of the biggest upsets I'd have to say. You know, we've seen in, in professional golf. But I loved every minute of watching it. Yeah, you were there, uh, there. until the uh, the police turned up with the divvy van because <laughs> in Victoria and they they took you away, didn't they? Because you were just that little bit too excited. I was getting too close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on the edge of stalking. Yeah, I don't mind saying it. Anyhow, charges we'll have been dropped. Everything's fine. We'll talk yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm allowed within 100 metres now. He's a terrific young bloke, and it's a terrific story as well. We're going to talk with Simon Hawkes in the show this time round. Uh, we're also going to travel to Western Australia. In the mind, the theatre of the mind, as our podcast is, we're not really going there. We'd like to go there, and we've been invited now. Um, but we're going to Wembley Golf Course. Well, it's more than a, a golf course. It's an actual complex in, in Perth or in uh, one of the suburbs of Perth. This is an amazing... Amazing place, Larry. Extraordinary place. And, and we've only just looked at it on the internet, Steve. The website is fantastic for the listeners to have a look at Wembley Golf Club. Just Google that. It comes up. And uh, everything about this place is just unbelievable. The, 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 the range, the golf courses, 36 holes, this magnificent clubhouse, the driving range, the mini golf course. It just looks unbelievable, doesn't it? Yeah. One of the things in the golf industry, and you know this as well as anyone, is the fact that a lot of clubs are, are doing it pretty tough at the moment. They're, uh, in a lot of cases, looking for ways to get themselves out of a hole. Now, this is a great example of, of one such club um, with council backing that not only got itself out of well, you know, potentially um, desperate situation, but has just gone ahead in leaps and bounds because they came up with a vision for the place and they put the cash behind it to do it and now it's going gangbusters. Yeah, councils, isn't it? It's extraordinary the difference that councils can have on on local industry, isn't it? And, and, uh, and the domestic scene, suburban stuff and sport and things. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes, occasionally, I think councils don't get it right. 
Yeah, well, uh, in this particular but case... this one, they have absolutely nailed it, and God will love them for yeah, it. Yeah, God love them. Josh Madden loves them. Josh Madden, a PGA member and general manager at this beautiful facility. And we're going to talk with Josh Madden about uh, Wembley Golf Course in the show today. Larry, uh, you got a product we're going to talk about as well. What have we got this time around? I've got the Men's Cleveland Golf CBX Wedge, Steve. This is a cavity wedge system. There's, uh, there's about 10 different lofts in this golf club, um, and it's the answer. It, it's I reckon this, this is a massive um, innovation in, into the wedge side of the game, which we which you and I, probably three quarters of our, of our game is with that wedge, isn't it? <laughs> Two or three times a hole, yeah, every hole. Yeah. At least. Well, this is, this is a game improver, but it still looks like a beautiful looking golf stick, so I'm looking forward to reviewing it. Okay, that's coming up as well, and you're going to have a... Oh, have you got a tip for us this time around? Yes, it's about pitching. It always relates to the product, usually, um, and it's about how to judge distances when you're chipping. Okay, judging distance. Judging distance, yeah. When you're chipping. Yeah, and how then, to create, how to create some, some, some proper feel through just a, a very simple technique. And then you're going to have a bit of a spit at the end. Well, it's a frustration, isn't it? More it's than a, a frustrating. More I'm, than a spit. You're Lydia, not going to get angry. You're just going to nah, get a bit frustrated. I, I could get a little emotional. Yeah, it's Lydia Ko. Um, and I, was, I happened to be there the day she won her first golf tournament in a professional, in professional company. She was 13 years old. In fact, she was 14. The 13, she was 13. She came second. The following year in the same event, New South Wales Open, she won. And I was caddying for, um, for uh, my old mate, Lindsay Wright. Good old. We love the Lindsay. We've got to get Lindsay on the show close and personal. And we've, had, we've, we've actually spoken to Lydia on the radio before. Yes. You, you build up a head of steam about that one, and we'll come back to it a bit later on. This is Backspin. Thanks to the team at Inside Golf. Well, our guest this week is a bloke that um, Larry's pretty keen on. You saw this bloke play in a, a pretty exciting situation not that long ago, and it really got you, didn't it? It really it really did. What was the situation, and who am I talking about? Well, we're talking about Simon Hawkes, the Tasman, 29-year-old Tasmanian who won uh, one of our biggest events um, only a couple of months ago in February, the Victorian Open. Um, he's had uh, he's played the tour for four years, I believe. We'll get to it to Simon in a second. Um, without a massive great uh, uh, amount of success, but that week it all came together and he won. And that last round was as gritty a round, given the circumstances that I've ever seen. Um, and Simon, you there? Can you can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you, mate. Yeah, Simon. Just to, I, I've got we've, I've got some quotes from from the interview that you did as soon as you'd walked off the 18th green for this victory, and uh, clearly a, a bit, bit of a kangaroo in headlights at the time. And uh, but I'll just play you the first quote. Honestly, don't know. It just it doesn't really feel like I'm a, a different golfer than I was when I rocked up Monday for the practice round. But it's and it's yeah. I guess it's I really I really honestly don't know what it is until I really probably sit down and really digest what exactly I've done you know for me at the moment my head's kind of like trying to work out how I'm going to get to Perth by you know Tuesday <laughs> afternoon really more than uh, you know what's happening right now but this would be this would be good once I get a week off and just sit and think about what exactly has transpired really. So the, 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 the Perth tournament you're talking about of course is the your first European tour event in Perth the Perth Super Sixes um, worth a uh, million and a half dollars a victory there would have taken you out of the European tour but that was jumping a step um, you've had that you had a you were talking about having a week off and working out you know exactly what this meant to you. You've now had a couple of months where you've had this victory, Simon. Can you t- tell us what now, uh, where Simon Hawks is and uh, where he intends to go? I guess, yeah, it's you kind of start that sort of stuff started to digest really probably the next week. Like I was there in person, I was standing next to Lee Westwood and all, you know, on the range, you know, warming up, and all of a sudden, okay, I'm out here with the big boys now, and that's sort of where, yeah, that's where it started to really sink in. And then yeah, especially when you go and you go and play the New Zealand Open, you're in televised events now. Like as I said, it's 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 this different world than what I was used to with what my experience professional golf was up until that point. And um, yeah, I'm hoping it's uh, it's still a steady trajectory upwards. So yeah, you had a chance of winning the New Zealand PGA, didn't you? Yes, I. Uh, I um yeah, I think I had the league with about seven to go, and uh, unfortunately, as I said, it's uh, a couple of putts didn't go my way, which. It was actually really interesting that that particularly you brought that up because I kind of because uh, Jordan Mullaney who caddied for me in the Vic Open actually uh, he, unfortunately he missed the cut in New Zealand PGA as well and I asked him whether he wanted to come out and caddy and you know we almost got over the line you know we're nearly two from two you know with um <laughs> that sort of stuff but we kind of we looked at it and go you know to win a golf tournament you just need there's, there's almost this this sort of this element that you, you don't really have any control over that, you know, you need to go your way, you know, and 
So I kind of looked at that situation and said, I played just as well to win the Victorian Open that week. It's just that down the stretch I had a few putts that, you know, could have, you know, it was a 50-50 either way she was going to break and I picked it wrong and that was all the difference was, really. Sometimes it's the difference between that top five and a win is just nothing you can really do. Yeah, putting, your hands, really. putting yourself in that position, though, Simon, was probably the difference, wasn't it? Because you're now going to be in that position a lot more times, given you've got over the line the first time you're in that position. Well, and that's the difference as well. Like, as I said, if that had been my first time trying to win the golf tournament, it would have been completely different. Like, I kind, of, I kind of felt that, actually, I was even talking about this last night with my parents, because I was finally at home, that the difference between New Zealand PGA and the Vic Open was I kind of felt that the New Zealand PGA, I didn't have to worry about money for the first time. Mm. I, was, I, was, I went out that back night trying to win a golf tournament. And it just and probably the way I played was the reason I probably fell off a couple of shots because I didn't have to think you know where previously I would be thinking oh, I've got to try and finish high up the board as I can I just went out there and said I'm going to try and shoot what I need to shoot to win the golf tournament so it's a different different way of playing now I guess as well so just to put that money in, into perspective that money side of things Simon I'm going to play another quote from that that famous interview that I witnessed no, I don't think I've made more than 30 grand since leaving school that was probably 10 years ago so now it's just kind of yeah it's just well I don't know I guess it's just a number on a computer screen really like, it's not like I'm going to take it all out and sit it in a bathtub or something like that <laughs> <laughs> maybe a good way to celebrate <laughs> come on Simon tell us you did do you that you changed it. your mind you know you did you, you took it out and uh, put it in a bathtub <laughs> No, uh, no. Unfortunately, as I said, uh, I guess instead learning coming through the PGA system and being a trainee for so many years, you, you learn how to, you know, you learn how to live life without having, having not very much money. So I guess for me, it's it's just still just sitting there. Unfortunately, I, there's no grand story or anything like that to what I've done with it. It's just sort of just still sitting there because yeah, I know as I said what what I've got ahead of you know. This win sets up a lot of stuff that opens up a lot of tournaments. But the reality is those tournaments cost a lot of money to go and do. So it's, it's Still, you know, you got to invest that money at the right time, and that's that's what I'm saving it for, really. That's uh, that's a point I was I made be in the intro, Simon, um, about you becoming a, a member of the Australian PGA in terms of a vocational member that makes you a full member of the Australian PGA, as opposed to just a tour player. I don't mean just; yeah. I mean there's some very nice guys that are just tour players and some very good players. But with with yeah. that background, um, does it give you more a sense of? Um, what you deserve, what if you win a, a good check like we're talking about, you've really earned it, as opposed to some of the young kids that just, you know, uh, have a have a you know an exceptional amateur career and they're picked up by by agents and and managers and then they go and, and there's, there's money splashed at them and they go and play wherever they want virtually. Um, yeah, different perspective. Was it that case on that day? I guess if anything, it, it, yeah, it does mean a lot more to me now because I've I've had to try and work out for the last three years how I'm going to get by with you know five grand in the bank. You know, as I said, when when I was managed to get about ten, I think it was about ten or fifteen ahead last year before I went to Canada, I thought that was you know incredible. You know, like I had all this, you know, like to me that was disposable income. Where you know mm. now now it's sort of like as I said, if I get the opportunity to get a call up to go and play a tournament in Japan, I don't have to kind of think about where that sort of money is going to be coming from, at least in the immediate future anyway. It's, it's, it gives you that, like I was saying before, like I was coming back to New Zealand PGA, it gives you the opportunity just to worry about playing just the best golf tournaments I can now. This was probably the first season I kind of sat down and said to myself that I finally had all the skill set to go and compete out in this tour. It took me, and that's probably the, the thing a lot of, like coming back to the good amateurs overlook, is that there's this, the golf is the easy part about being a golf professional. Like, everyone out here can play golf. It's the guys who can make good decisions in regards to their travel, you know, what 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 direction what long term directions they want to make and things like that. You're asked about um, your your journey uh, and the and playing the pro ams and I think you, you you mentioned that you were driving from, from Hobart uh, yeah. onto the um, Spirit of Tasmania Spirit of Tasmania yeah. going across and then driving around all the pro-am tours so there's, there's, there's a little quote here I'll just play you I think it's just like anything you know, it's like being a musician you know the reality is that you know 95% of them are driving around in cars playing $200 gigs and where you know there's the, if you're the lucky 0.5% you, you're playing stadiums and I think any professional sports like that it's you, we, we always see the, the, the success stories on TV and things like that and yeah it's just yeah, well, that's just actually really hit there. That I'm, you know, on the other side. Of, I guess I can say I'm on the other side of the fence now. Yeah, that was a moment, wasn't it? When you just suddenly realised, hang on, I got 120k in the bank. Yeah. I, yeah, I can, uh, I can play wherever I want. Yeah, no, and that's that's, that's the sort of thing where, because that's what it, what it's been like for the last three years. You know, that's where a lot of my mates, especially the guys as well, came to the vocational systems. They want to play. That's that's where you start out. You know, it's, you go, okay, what's the where's the schedule? Oh, we got to go to far north Queensland or we're going to South Australia let's, let's all pack into the car and we'll 
we'll go and try and make some money. You know, that's the sort of thing. That's the that's the that's that's the sort of that's my path through golf. You know, where I never had much of an I didn't really invest much time into golf as an amateur. You know, for me it was just sort of something I did. I represented Tasmania a couple of times with the in the interstate series and things like that. But um, you know, for me it was kind of just playing on a Friday afternoon, playing on the weekend. Like it was never. I never invested in going away in a state or overseas to playing all these amateur tournaments. So I guess that's where, where my journey started coming up through, you know, just driving around all these tournaments, just mm-hmm. trying to make enough money to, to get to the next set of events. And then for me, it was like every time a four-rounder would roll around, that would be your, your major, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, multiple, a multiple-round pro-am there, your majors, where now it's sort of like my, my big events now are, are national opens and things like that. So mm-hmm. that's where it's perspective sort of changes sounded to me in that quote like you were describing yourself as being well on the way to uh being you know the ed sheeran of australian golf <laughs> have i got that uh, right well <laughs> larry's, I, I, larry's I, looking at me very strangely what's the ed sheeran what's well, the ed sheeran well, plays he's, he's he's the muse yeah you got your your 200 dollars night never on the pro-am tour Stephen. No, what no, are you talking about your 200 dollars muse simon oh, said muse's playing for 200 dollars and then there's the the stadium is the big the big well, i don't think ed sheeran ever 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 played at a at a, at a 200 dollars pub gig would you I, I don't mean, think he oh, would. He, he, yeah, he would have I think he's the amateur that turned pro. I yeah. think he, he's the amateur that just, was just a, an absolute star and was picked up. He's the example of, of the other side, Steve. Anyhow, it was an analogy that. Yeah, went the kids you watch on, on the uh, on the Voice. Start, I, I reckon they're they're the uh, the Simons and the Larrys and the my son Heath and oh, sorry well, Heath. I, I don't, no, I'd actually disagree there. Probably the Ed Sheerans are because they're the guys that probably bust out and they went and got their record deal and things like that. Where the guys are the the Voice or all those sort of things are probably the amateur golfers where they get sort of thrusted into the spotlight even before they've sort of, you know, I don't want to take anything away. These guys are phenomenal golfers and deserve that sort of spotlight. But, like, a lot of the time is that, you know, uh, guys like guys like me are sort of like, as said, that's the thing. Like, when I won the Victorian Open, like, it was sort of this amazing shock thing to the Australian golfing public where if you kind of went back and looked through my resume the previous 18 months before that, you know, I'd, I'd won 10 Pro-Ams. I'd played on the McKenzie Tour, you know. So there was a an upward trajectory there. And I guess I was finding... I guess probably the last piece fell into place for me to start competing, and it was just happened. Like I keep just saying, I just happened to it happened to all fall together on that first week out there, really. So, Larry, when when we see Simon on the first tee, I'm not talking the British about Open. I want you to think of that analogy, the Ed Sheeran analogy. Oh. All right, <laughs> you were my favourite pro, Simon, up until about three minutes ago. I've got one final uh, quote from you here, yep. Simon, and it's and it's regarding your caddy, Jordan. Um, yep. And possibly you, you're a, a bit of an, a bit of a problem you were thinking you might have straight after the interview was finished. I was chatting with my caddy Jordan. We're just saying we've got a strategy of playing this golf course. That's what we're going to do. And if if that's good enough, as I said, it was good enough for three rounds. Let's hope it's good enough for four. Jordan was Jordan your normal caddy? Does he? He, he, was, he was. He played this week. Unfortunately, missed the cut. And I, I don't know exactly what the the financial arrangement we're going to pay him for this week. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll see how we go. And unfortunately, he's he's, he's third reserve for the Perth uh, Super Sixes. I've knocked him out of a spot there. <laughs> so that's going to be an awkward car ride home to Melbourne. Did you look after him, Simon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as I said, like, um, probably like an exact financial figure, but um, as I said, he, he probably had a big part in that, in reading that, holding that last putt. So I think, I'd say the amount I paid him, both parties were extremely happy with. <laughs> cool, that's and, the way. and how was that car ride home? All right? <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was just kind of interesting. That the, like I was saying, like, a lot of my thoughts were kind of the, the next step like it, it wasn't really until I had a moment to sit down and, and the because re- the reality was I still had to get back to Melbourne then I still had to get back to Perth so it was it, like yeah it's, it's, for me the car ride home just felt like it was just another car ride home from another pro-am in a way because it like a lot of it just hadn't like I said I just finished the game of golf and then you know had a lot of those media sort of commitments and things like that and I was kind of just in the normal spot you are normally after you finish playing golf you know you're loading your clubs in the car you're changing your shoes and then you go, okay, that's where the accommodation is. We've got to drive there. So yeah. it, was, it just, it, it kind of felt just, and that's, that's what I'm saying. Well, it, still, it still hadn't sunk in at that moment that I, I won the Vic Open. You know, like I think, if anything, the moment it really hit me was um, my young, my youngest sister actually posted a video. Of, she sent a video to me via you know, social media of, of what the reaction of my mum and dad when I actually hold that winning putt. And that was, so that was the moment when it really hit home that I'd actually done something, you know, that, that I'd actually achieved that. So, yeah, she sent that to me later that night. That sort of went, and yeah, that, that's that's the moment it hit.
Fantastic. Now, um, obviously, with that win, just to, to finish up the future, does it mean that you sort of had to reset a few goals for the next 12 months, or are you sticking to your same plan? 2018 would have been a great year for Simon Horse if he managed to keep his tour card in Australia and probably compete. I want to say compete, you know, probably maybe a top 10 or a couple of top 10s or something like that in some tour events where, you know, I'd come out fourth week of the season and I'd won a tier one tournament and won, you know, secured my card for the next three years. So that's always the, the hardest part, I think, for anybody when you, when you, you get, your, you achieve your goals, you've got to work out what you're going to do next. Otherwise, you can kind of, you can kind of be a bit stagnant for a bit. So, no, there's definitely been some refocus. I guess now it's sort of like it's, I'm trying to, I'm working with some, you know, some different people who help me out, just trying to work out where, where it's probably the next best to branch out in since I've, I've got security in Australia for the next couple of years. All right, mate. Thank you very much for your time, Simon. Congratulations again, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you plenty more times on, on Sunday afternoons around the world in the future. I hope so. Thanks, Simon. Thanks to Inside Golf, this is Backspin, and it's time to take a look at a brand new product that's got Larry pretty excited. How excited are you, Larry? I've never been this excited, Steve. I've never seen you this excited. I don't know what to do with myself. You like shower, perhaps? I'm not, I don't know where to take it from here. You're like a dog eating hot chips. It's unbelievable what I'm about to talk about. What we're talking about today is uh, something new from Cleveland. What is it? it? Well, it's the CBX Wedge, Stephen. Um, now, it's a series of wedges that Cleveland have uh, produced recently, and they're called Game Improvement Wedges. And... And for the first time I can remember, well, since golfers, I reckon, have been playing without smoking pipes, I reckon this is the first time that a company has come out with a dedicated set of wedges um, that improve your game, that help you. Uh, we've always just assumed, and I always have, that you, know, you get a nice set of cavity irons, you get the driver with a head on it, you know, the size of a small Pacific Island, um, all designed to help you. When you get down to the wedge, even a putter, Steve, the putter's you know got all the weights and stuff around the outside. But when we get down to the wedges, we've been using blade wedges. Why? So that's a, a pretty big call from you, given you've been in the game for you know you've been a professional for forty years in the game for much longer than that as well. That's a big call for someone with your background to make. Well, there's been spatterings of cavity wedges, but they're more inclined to be. Um, as part of the set of irons, to match the set of irons that you would get. Yeah. So you get a you know four iron, five, six, seven, eight, nine wedge and sandwich in a set. Those days have probably vanished a few years ago. We started to get these specialty wedges in. So sets finish at pitching wedge, which is kind of badly named. It's really a ten iron, just another it's a nine iron with a bit more loft. Mm. And then you start into your wedges, and and we've been using these as I said blades. Well. Why? Why hasn't this happened years ago and it's happened? Well, it's Cleveland happened now, have so done it. why is it so good? Why has it got you so excited? Well, because, uh, like I just said, Steve, 84%, according to, to Cleveland, and I believe that's pretty close to right, of us use cavity iron. So why not use cavity wedges that can help us? And uh, the other day I tried some of these. The, I used the cavity, the, the Cleveland CBX wedge. I took it out. In fact, I got really clever, Stephen. Um, and I'm going to talk a bit lower because that's when I get into intellectual, I start talking a bit lower and a bit uh, quieter. Um, I got some golf balls. I marked them with whiteboard, with a whiteboard texter. Mm. Got about 20 of them. Um, marked them all, put them on the on the practice chipping area, mm. took my blade wedge and a CBX wedge and then hit some shots, some little chips and then some, some 30 or 40 yard pitch shots and, and saw where I was hitting the, 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 the ball, what part of the club I was hitting the ball on. And it was disgraceful how bad I was. It was ordinary. I knew I wasn't great. Um, and, but with the, with the blade wedge, you could see a little variation. Each time I got a little out, out of centre, off centre, a little variation in flight, in distance, in spin. Um, but with the CBX, it really did. It was, it was actually extraordinary how much more uniform my shots were coming out, even though I could hit them all over the face. So you were doing, you were doing exactly the same thing but the the CBX wedge was correcting you. Is that right? It was, I, I, or it was a, you know it was it was allowing for discrepancies. It was it was definitely making the miss hits a lot closer to the good shots. I did catch a couple in the centre, uh, and and the ones that I miss hit with the CBX didn't have as much a disparity. Disparity? Disparity? No, disparity. Disparity. No such as, word as the other thing. As the blades. Um, you know, well, as I said, it was shocking how many miss hits I, I do, particularly with a pitch shot. And so yeah, if but, I'm but doing hang it, on a minute, hang on. That's what I was, I, you know, I'm probably leading into the point that you're about to make, but you being the, the golfer that you are, a, a very, very, very good golfer, <laughs> for a very, very, Thank very you, average golfer like Thank me, you, this is big news. This I is reckon it is. This is big news for your average club. I, I'm, look, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's fantastic. And like I said, why hasn't it happened earlier? 
why have we been doing this? Why have we been putting up with these blade wedges and hoping that we get the shot out of the centre when we've been using this? All the other clubs are designed for mishits. Um, I found this wedge... Uh, also, Steve, w- when you look at the thing, when you put it down behind the ball, it still has that beautiful, classic Cleveland look. You know, the wedge that... The slight teardrop sort of shape, beautiful-looking clubs. Um, it's slightly bigger, but not overweight. You know, it's still pretty fit. Uh, nice satin finish. Um, and the sole has this um, V-sole, what they, they call it, where there's a bit of an angle leaning forward. It's really hard to explain. A bit of an angle leaning forward. If you're holding the club up in front of you, a little bit of an angle leaning forward on the, on the leading edge and then leading back away from that on the trailing edge. So what that's designed to do is if you catch the ball a little bit heavy, it bounces through the ground and keeps the club moving. Also, Steve, I took a couple of shots, a couple of balls into some really thick rough behind the 18th ground at Mount Broughton the other day. Had a couple of splashes with my wedge. Um, sometimes in the rough, the variation where the ball sinks really low or it sits a little bit higher in the rough. With my blade wedge, I, I was hitting the ball high and low on the club and some of the shots were going like halfway to the pin. And the club was getting a little bit stuck in the long grass, whereas... Mm. With the CBX, it just glided through the grass. The sole was designed to keep the club moving through the grass, and they're a bit lighter, which is also interesting. I've, you know, I've always thought that wedges had to be big, heavy, bulky things, but these are quite light. And, to, and, and when I got the club moving through the, the long grass with a lighter club, it was just you know, an added bonus. Yeah, in all seriousness, we talk a lot about the engineering that goes into golf clubs, and all, all the big companies put a lot of time and obviously spend a lot of money into product development, and a key component of that is the engineering that goes into the, the manufacture of the club. Yep. Now, when we talk about that, we're usually talking about drivers. Mm, yes, we're talking yes. about woods. This is a game changer. We're talking about wedges here. It's a cliche game changer, but this is... Definitely it is a, a game changer, a, a, a but game you changer. reckon it is? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and the thing to do for you, you, as I said before, your average golfer, give it a crack. Listen to what we're saying. Mm. If you're hearing it, go and talk to your club pro yep. about these these wedges. Steve, you can actually be a, a tour player. I mean, the, the world's number one woman player in B Park uses the CBX wedge. So you can be right from the best in the world down to... Someone off a 35 handicap. You know, it's, a, it's a great win. There's a, there are actually three wedges in the range, um, and I'll talk quick, just quickly yeah. about the smart sole one, Steve, which is the S3 wedge. That has a much broader sole, and that's for, that's for, that is more designed for the guy who struggles to chip, um, more than I do, even I do, uh, yeah. because the club really does bounce off the ground. It doesn't get stuck in behind the ball. It doesn't get stuck in, be, in the ground behind the ball. It just glides through. Then there's a third one, the smart sole 3C wedge, which looks like the old-fashioned chipper, but there's way more technology in it than that. And that's for someone who has the... I reckon, I, I would say... It's not doesn't say it on the on the scribe here, but I would say if someone who has a, a bit of a yip problem with the wedges... You're looking at me? Uh, straight at you. Straight at straight me. Straight at I you, Steve. Yeah. And I, because it has the same sole, the smart sole, but it's more like a putter type shape, you know, and slightly shorter shaft, 34-inch shaft. The, the lie is more upright, so it's more like a putter but it has the loft of somewhere between a nine and a wedge. So it lifts the ball up in the air. You can hit it with a putting stroke, you can actually get the ball up in the air and get it to run you know, onto the green. So even if you can actually loft over a bunker with this thing with that amount of loft. So it really is a, a, a the, not, I wouldn't say the answer, but definitely a, a, something that person, you know, we use that horrible word, yep, and I, I hate using it, but it's, it's, a, it's a big part of the game. You've got, you've got me excited. I'm hoping a few other people listening are excited as well. The Cleveland CBX wedge range. Yes, CBX wedge is the is the what's the smart sole of the other two. The Cleveland CBX wedge is the one I'm going to be using. Yeah, I'm going to buy it. I'm okay. going to get one straight up. Yep. And the smart sole. The smart sole. S three wedge and the smart sole three C wedge. Yeah. Okay. Check them out. You can go to clevelandgolf.com. Yeah. And check them out uh, if you want to have a look at them. But I mean, you can look at them all day, and, all, and I know you have been. That's all you do. Yeah, I say, what are you up to? I ring club. Larry and say, "What are you up to, Larry?" He goes, "I'm just looking at the CBX wedge." <laughs> I ring him back it's, twenty minutes code. later. What are you? It's code, listeners. I'm looking at the CBX wedge. No, seriously, you can look at it all day, but go and try it. Give it a crack. Oh, it's a winner. Yeah, it is. Like we said, that horrible cliche, Steve. I'll leave it with you. It's a. It's. I reckon it's a game changer. I reckon it is too. That's our product of the week, and it's the Cleveland CBX wedge. Larry loves it. You might love it too. Check it out. This is Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. More very soon. 
Well, one of the most amazing golf complexes is Wembley Golf Course um, over in the west of Australia. And time difference over there, Larry. You know, we've been uh, working on getting <laughs> Josh Madden, the the the, uh, the GM from Wembley, on air, and I told him this time, and he thought it was that time, and. You know, it was all my fault. We it got is it all, all your because fault, because yes. it's, it's a long way from where we're recording. Yeah, you haven't finished. You got to fix that, Josh. I thought when you went over there, you might be able to just repair that. Just yeah, get, get the no, time thing uh, back. Get that is, sun up a bit earlier, mate. It is the west, and uh, there's a two-hour time difference there, so it's uh, sometimes hard to coordinate when you're in your little world over here. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and we're in our little world over here. <laughs> yeah, Steve's in That's his right. little world. My little world. That's right. We've got it now. But, Josh, with Wembley, I think it's fair to say, and I'm not trying to put the mocker on any of your older members here, but it's almost cradle to the grave golf. Yeah, look, it, it certainly is. I guess it's, um, I think one of the best things that I like about being here is that it's, it is truly the grassroots of the game. Uh, 36-hole public venue. We really do have, I guess, something for everybody. And... And that's, I think that's a really, a really cool thing about, you know, when you talk about um, struggles of the game and industry in terms of all challenges, if you like, we, um, I guess it's sort of open in terms of uh, very open and, open and welcoming to sort of say, come on and have a try. And uh, it doesn't matter how old or your level or your skill level, there's something to do. So, to have a crack at. so tell us the Wembley story. Where did it start? Was it the idea of someone in particular or was it a bit of group think? How did it happen? Well, Wembley, the golf course, actually has quite a quite a decent history. It goes back to 1933 um, in town of Cambridge, and, and I think it was City of Perth back way back in the day. But uh, it certainly has evolved to what you, you know, like you said in the, in the intro, Wembley Golf Complex. It, it's evolved from sort of Wembley Golf Course into something more of a complex because it isn't purely just golf anymore. I guess the, the, the typical offering where it was uh, a golf course, it became 36 holes, um, and then and stayed like that for quite a long time. But I guess by uh, vision, uh, certainly some money, a fantastic location in Wembley near the beach, uh, in Perth, for example, which is Wembley's west of the city, Mm. um, towards the water. I guess those things all sort of combine to create a fantastic venue. Um, Two public golf courses which had fantastic sort of access and, and were easy to get to for a majority of the population. And then, look, I guess it grew from there, uh, the start of what I'd probably call the start of the evolution, the driving range uh, was finished here. It's an 80-bay driving range automated, so the balls pop out of the ground in 2009. And that was probably, and look, I certainly take no credit for it, but it's the vision of town of Cambridge and the people that worked here well before me who, who um, looked, I guess, had a really good look at the opportunity and, and had a good idea of what their target market was and what they wanted it to be. And... Uh, I guess it's a pretty good example of build it and they will come. But but sometimes in, in those situations, people can have that vision and um, think build it and they will come and they don't quite get it right. It would appear to me in this instance that everything is working really well. Is that right? Yeah, look, I, I think that you're right. You couldn't build this anywhere and they will come. Uh, it, it's, it's still its location in, in Perth or, you know, outside of Perth City, uh, is in a is in a great area, a great spot of WA, and that lends itself to the success story that is now Wembley Golf, and you know just one that I'm proud to be a part of. I'm looking at the uh, on the on my computer screen, Josh, at the putting the mini golf course. Yeah. Um, and uh, amongst all the other pictures on that website, it, it, which are all stunning, this this little putting green looks like it looks fantastic now. Does someone design that? Is that do you have to get like yes, Trent Jones uh, in to do that? Or? No, no, it's actually um, a byproduct of Richard Chamberlain, who's done a great job. Uh, it's an eighteen-hole mini golf course that's been, you know, very. We had a. I probably uh, you probably have to talk to him, but I, you know, like I think uh, we gave him a, a fantastic piece of land, I guess, to work his magic on, and he did a great job in, in designing something that I don't know if you know. We've got three pins on each hole, so there's an oh. easy, medium, end, and. Uh, Hard, which is uh, red, blue, and black uh, pins to go to. So I guess it just caters for everybody. And it, the red pin is a big hole golf, like uh, you know, really big mm, and easy. Mm. So it just caters for those. Any, any, each and everybody, I guess, can have a crack at it. And and, um, and it's an intro to the game. Tell us about Project Golf because that's another part of it. Yeah, look, Project Golf, I guess, is just is the tuition, learning, and 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 uh, I guess um, teaching side of the game. And, and like I said in the intro, it's. It's something that's really cool about this facility in that, in that uh, we're grassroots. We really are a place where you can come and learn, 
because the driving range has the automated balls and it's fun, you can, I guess it, it takes that initial scariness out of intro to the game. It's fun, you have your own bay, you can hit some balls. There's You have a slow transition into tuition and, and, and then sort of, I guess, um, getting into the game. So Project Golf is sort of the next step of that where they get into My Golf, then RGX. And I guess, it, you know, the name Project Golf is we're trying to get golfers into the game and make them fall in love with it. Who are your coaches there at the moment there, Josh? Uh, You've got a few, a I guess. a pretty long list. We've got 15 PJ oh, Pros on man, staff. man, really? But they're across different roles. So we've got a handful of them in golf operations. Uh, that's that's got, half of the Western Australian PGA, I think, yeah. Josh. <laughs> you would think that. Well, look, the, the PGA of Australia, WA, divisional office is here. So uh, they're sort of, I guess, joining, have, have joined us in terms of this, this okay. is home base, and this yep. is where they do a lot of training out of, and and that's uh, it's not it's not all of the WPGA pros, but at times it feels like it, and home base is here. So, so when we do do PGA events, um, you know the, the, the whole crew come in here, I guess, and and do some learning and, and education as well. Um, Josh, tell us about uh, quickly about the two courses, the old course and the Chewett course. Is uh, is there a signature hole on either or both of the courses? If if golfers are listening to this and they're they're, they're visiting WA and they're going to drop in at Wembley, uh, are there a couple of holes that you um, really think stand out? Oh, look, the 18th on the old course is is a fantastic uh, you know dog leg right finishing hole if you like that that uh, just has a. Is a, is a great looking hole and, and a great finish that goes then the walks up to the clubhouse so that's an enjoyable one the tour course I think probably at the moment I, I don't, we don't have a um, signature hole if you like but the ninth hole where you, when you make the turn is a par 3 over water that looks up straight at the new clubhouse and that view is pretty spectacular uh, when the sun's setting uh, behind you and, and the, the clubhouse is all lit up it looks it's, uh, it's pretty special so the golf courses are both pretty different uh, the old course has certainly some um, old old world golf charm. It's an old design, and and uh, but it's in, it's in fantastic nick. You know, uh, and then and a credit to our greenkeepers, our green greenkeeping staff. And fan, fantastic nick for how busy it is too. So it's uh, they're both a different challenge. Uh, good golf test of golf and enjoyable to play. Well, whoever uh, had the vision, whoever stuck with that vision and put the money behind it, they deserve a big pat on the back as uh, as the people like you, Josh, who are making this work. I mean, you can put it all together, but you've got to have the people there to make it work, and it obviously sounds like that's happening. Um, if Larry and I make our way over to the West in the near future, will you make us welcome at, at Wembley? Absolutely. And then there's, there's a lot of courses at Wembley. You, you can certainly <laughs> come on out. Yeah, come on out. There's a lot to do out here, and uh, I think it's one of those places where where uh, it's worth having a look at. By, you know, we're, we're the busiest golf course in Australia oh, uh, okay. in terms of our numbers, and, and uh, which is hard to believe that the busiest golf course in Australia is in Perth. But uh, nevertheless, I guess it's a, it's a byproduct of having more than one revenue stream in terms of when you talk about the driving range, undercover, mini golf, corporate, corporate mini golf, then 36 holes uh, in a fantastic location, that, which is accessible to the to a bulk of the population uh it's definitely worth a visit yeah it's a fantastic story josh continued success and and thanks for your time mate hey it's a pleasure thanks for having me on thanks josh thanks guys thank you This is Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. And don't forget, if you uh, would like to listen to some of the back episodes of Backspin, you can go to uh, the Inside Golf website, insidegolf.com.au. There's a heap of other information. It's not just our our podcast here, Larry. No, There's it's pretty old just our podcast. Information yeah. about all sorts of stuff. What's your um, favourite? Uh, I haven't got a, we, we spoke about this last week mm. I haven't got it there are, there are moments along the way that I've really enjoyed mm. but uh, no particular favourite Dean Hurden um, is probably my favourite mm. caddy mm. Yeah, that, and, and diplomat mm. um, uh, Jack Newton Jack was terrific as well he's got an uh, opinion or three I like the Dodger there's a lot of stuff to listen to but go to insidegolf.com.au you can, you can download from there you can go to their Facebook page Inside Golf Facebook page you'll find the podcast there yeah, as faces well faces on the Facebook page faces on the Facebook page and you can also go to the uh, iTunes store as well mm, did yes, you, you know can. that I did know that yes. yeah and, and download it there if you want to hear some of the old episodes with uh, mountains of good stuff in there and Larry it's time for you to impart a little bit of your wisdom to the rest of us around the golfing world today it's about chipping which is the bane of my existence 
It is, Stephen, yes, um, and the bane of many. Um, and we were just talking about the the beautiful CBX, Cleveland CBX wedge, and, and this is step one for a lot of players. Have a look at your equipment and um, and try and get a golf club that is easier to hit. And if you're using cavity golf clubs, that CBX wedge is definitely the one. Now, Steve, to to become a good chipper, to become to go from not such a great chipper to a good chipper, mm. um, step one is to formulate a method that strikes the ball somewhere near the face, um, ball then ground, um, with with a st- different um, length of swing, which determines exactly how far the ball goes. If you if you can lock in a, a, a method where you don't use a lot of hands or wrists, move your weight onto your left shoe, all the things we probably know what to do, slightly open stance, and then it's more hands and arms and then it is hand, wrists. Try and get rid of as much wrist as you can. A little bit of forward set with your wrist. But that from that moment on, if you if you swing back with a, let's say, a 56-degree Cleveland wedge, uh, let's say you swing it back so the club head's about level with the ground, swing it through so it's level with the ground on the way through and see how far it goes. Hit about 20 of those in a row. See how far, and, and you'll get an average, a rough average of how far mm. the ball goes. It might be 20 feet, 30 feet, whatever, 40 yards. Um, and then change change the amount of swing. So swing it back about half of that, halfway through the same, and see how far it goes again. So it's you've, the, the think the important thing is to take the wrists out so that the golf club is you're not adding any levers, any more power to the to the shot, and the same rhythm for 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 every shot, whether it be a a ten foot little chip shot or a twenty yard pitch, same rhythm, just a slightly longer swing. So the golf ball will just start to go a certain distance and you'll start to feel that if I if I swing it back about that far it's only going to go there mm. and then if then, then there's the other option where if you change the loft to a, maybe a 60 or go back to a 52 so the ball's going to go lower and run a little further with a 52 a little bit shorter but you're not changing any mechanics or any technique you're not trying to get the ball under the club under the ball and you're not using any wrists so you don't you're not having that that look where your arms are swinging slowly yet the club is moving quicker because you're adding wrists. So take the wrists out completely, set them a little bit forward at address, and just get a feel of how far the ball's going to go with a certain type of swing. I was um, playing golf with one of my sons the other day and watching him um, chip, and he's a very good chipper, and he's got this uh, technique that he's adopted, but I was looking at the biomechanics of his arms, and his wrists were absolutely rigid. Oh, were they? Oh, Is he being taught? No, I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. But you know, just watching the arm movement, it was exactly as you just okay. described it. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Day's a great example, I reckon, of this. Takes his hands pretty well completely out. You never see the club moving at a different speed. No, it doesn't matter whether he's hitting at 20 feet or 40 yards. The club looks like it's travelling at the same speed all the time. Well, it's just a longer swing for a longer shot, and you, you, it'll lock it into your brain that you know that you, 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 uh, the amount of the amount of force is determined by the length of the swing if you keep it running at the same speed. So the same rhythm with everything. I think I'm repeating myself. But set yourself a benchmark. You know, that, as you said... Um, Don't try and get it higher or lower. Just change the club if you need a yeah, higher shot. But 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 with, um, you mentioned arms, you know, uh, parallel with the ground, swing through it till they're parallel yep, again yep. and see how far it goes yeah. and, and sort of set that as your benchmark. Exactly. And work from there. Yep. Mm. Take little bits off. There's a, there's a very famous guy called Dave Peltz, famous wedge instructor, and he is part of the Srixon family, Srixon Cleveland family. Um, he talks about that. He, he probably takes it that step further where he talks about a, the, the, um, a watch, and if you swing it to 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 3 o'clock, or, you know, it's going to go a certain distance. I'm not, you know, that's a little bit contrived. I just want the players that aren't great chippers just to get some sort of standard strike, standard method, and then just vary the length of the swing to vary how far the ball goes. Are you a member of the Srixon Cleveland family? I am a big member of the Srixon Cleveland family, Steve. Well, it's they, Larry they... Srixon Cleveland. It's a hyphenated name. Uh, 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 <laughs> like a, a, a real dead set member or a distant relative? No, I'm a dead set relative. Uh, no, I'm right in there. You're right in yeah, there? Yeah, I'm Uncle Larry. Uncle Srixon Larry. Cleveland. Anyhow, let's move on. Let's get you cranky because... We like it when you get cranky about things. You just, you've got to get. Re- you're not going to get cranky today. Nah. You're just going to get a little bit frustrated because you're a big fan of Lydia Ko. Um, you've been a fan ever since you were on the bag for Lindsay Wright back in mm, the day. Correct. When Lydia was thirteen or fourteen, thereabouts. Mm. Um, how old is she now? 
21. Yeah. She's just turned 21. Okay. So, this is sort of seven seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, it was when she won her first tournament. Yes, it was. Profes- professional. First professional golf tournament. tournament. Yeah. Yeah. But what's got you cranky? Well, it, like you said, it was seven or eight years ago. Yeah. Um, and she she was headed for she was going to be one of the greatest players women's golf had ever seen, and she still could be that. And uh, but she was on a, a, a massive, rapidly up upward spiraling path to to legendary status, and, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that um, until she started fiddling and messing around. And and I think well, according to some quotes I've got here, mum and dad got a little bit too involved with some swing issues, coaches and stuff, and it all just fell apart. She's She dropped from number one in the world down to 16 in the world. And this has only happened in like the space of 18 months. She started off with a guy called Guy Wilson. That was her coach, Guy Wilson from New Zealand, where she, where she learned in Auckland. Um, she was only a five-year-old kid. Guy took her to... Um, she had, Well, Guy had her for 11 years. Um, and then the day, almost the day she turned pro... Now, Guy's put a lot of work into her. Almost the day she turned pro... Um, she issued a statement saying, I'm changing coaches. And it was it was pretty cold-hearted. And poor old guy who's, who's given a lot of time for nothing to this kid is in now in a position he's thinking, well, at least, at least I can get something back, you know, from I've invested so much time into this, in, into this kid and we've become mates. Got punted. Um, she then went to David Ledbetter. So the day she turned pro, she was world number four <laughs> when she turned pro. Wow. Um, as an amateur, fifteen-year-old amateur, so that was extraordinary. That, that's what Guy had done. So she, 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 her team apparently says, "Well, no, no, we're going to change now. We're going to change to David Ledbetter, one of the most famous coaches in the world. A little bit, uh, some would say, very, very constructed, very myth, myth, he, methodical. He's polarizing, isn't he? He's, yes, it's a very positional. He's, yeah. he's, he's teaching, um, and he was, he was, he coached her for three years, um, from thirteen to December sixteen. And she she became world number one in that time. Now, you might say, well, she would have done it anyway, but uh, she she got there a little quicker, maybe than she was uh, than was suggested. She she was um, in two sixteen. She won five events, Steve, including a major, and that wasn't enough either. So Ledbetter got the punt. So off she goes now. Hang on, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough for her, apparently. So the parents, the team, the team weren't happy. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll quote I'll quote a couple of things from Ledbetter here in a second, which I think reveals a lot. Um, so she then goes off to uh, a guy called, who's the next guy, Steve? Gary Gilchrist, the American. Um, and he lasted 12 months. <laughs> but you wouldn't, you wouldn't think 12 months is anywhere near enough to make any sort of changes. Anyway, he got the punt. Uh, and, and also, in, in this period, she, she changed caddies. She changed all her gear to PXG from, from Callaway. She's now, and this year, she started with a former tour player called Ted O, who's in America. Uh, and they've been working together. He's in Phoenix. Um, and she's gone through, in that time, 11 caddies, Steve. Her current caddy is Kari Webb's ex-caddy. So hopefully, her, his name is Scott. Um, we're hoping that Scott, um, it stops with Scott because obviously he's got some great experience winning majors on Curry's back, and and then she can she can sort of kick on from here. Now she has won recently. This is why it's sort of fresh with me. She's won recently, uh, so it appears that well, you'd think the Ted O is now the the hero, isn't he? Um, the last coach because she's she's won for the first time in nearly eighteen months, but I'm not sure it's the case. I, look, I think if if she'd have just stayed with Guy from the start. Um, because I think he had the the best knowledge of uh, he'd seen her growing, he'd seen her get taller, stronger, made adjustments along the way. The kid has so much clubhead awareness. We call it Steve. This means she knows exactly where the golf club is at any point in her swing, and and the most important point, of course, is impact. Just before impact and just after, and she had mastered. She'd mastered that. Now you make a change to something else in the golf swing, that changes. You've got to reacquaint yourself with where the golf club is in the, in the swing, and I. And I just wonder why, why has this kid gone through all these changes and she's only 21? I mean, what what could she have won had she have just stayed where she was, world number one, great golf swing, um, great attitude, loved the world. It wasn't confused or complicated. But uh, no, it didn't happen that way. And when, when she split with, with um, David Ledbetter, I've got a quote here. Just give me a moment. We'll talk amongst ourselves while Larry finds this quote. This is Backspin. Thanks to oh, Inside Golf. Have it. you found that quote? I've found the quote. I might just ring mum. Uh, Ledbetter Led, Led had a side of the story, had his side of the story and why he was purged 
as he said. She had a very busy schedule in 2016. This is the year, the, the end of this year he got punted, including the Rio Olympics. Unfortunately, she was physically and mentally exhausted, a classic symptom of burnout. Plus, her father, not much of a golfer apparently, um, heard rumours that Lydia needed to change her swing. Now, that's, that's, that's a, it's a great to have a father like that, isn't it? When you've got David Ledbetter coaching you, it'd be good to have a father that comes out from off a 20 handicap or something and says, no, you've got to change your swing. So at the end of the year, she and her team decided that even though she had won five tournaments, including a major in 216, they wanted to move on from me. Lydia is a great young lady. We only wish the best for her. We honestly felt that if the decision was left entirely up to her, that she would still be with us. A big smash at uh, Lydia's dad. Yeah. Now, surprise, surprise. Parents in sport. We spoke about this in a previous episode of Backspin. You know, the parents who mm-hmm. take their kids along for the, yep. the golf lessons and they want them winning the British Open two weeks we later sort of thing. There's, there's no place for it. Well, this is this is this an extreme example of that, though, isn't it? I mean, this is she's the world's best player. This is she is going to be an absolute world beater. This is where you end up. She's doing things, Steve, that no one has ever done. Winning at thirteen years old, winning against professionals like Laura Davies and you know Lindsay Wright, some of the best players in the world, beating them at that at thirteen and fourteen. Yeah. World number one at fifth. World number four, sorry, at fifteen. I mean, that's extraordinary how good she was going. Leave her alone, Dad. Stay home. No, look after her, but leave no, her career. No, she's been looked after. Just yeah, sit right. at home and watch her, watch her on TV. Yeah, do what you need to do as a, a parent, but as a, a, a golf manager or whatever, accept the fact that there are people who know better than you do. You're not going to change. And the other thing is, she's 21 years old. What does she think? Surely she's old enough to have those sorts of decisions in her own hands now. It doesn't appear that she even gets a listen, does, does it? I mean, given what, what's happened there, what I've just read, that I mean, I, Ledbetter, I'm obviously he's defending himself to some degree and what, yep. why they left him, but you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't win five events in a major and, and then just say, no, nah, now I'm going to change now. Cause, because Dad said I need a different swing. Because yeah, well he, done. Dad, Dad heard someone say... The word was what? Wasn't that what he said? Yeah. The word was around or something. We, well, yeah, just go and well, go and talk to Ledbetter. Yeah. Say, Dave, look, I've just heard from Butch Harmon or someone else that she needs to do this, or probably a silly commentator on TV. Probably that's where he's heard it. Um, that she needs to change her swing. David would say, well, I'll, I'll look at that and see if we can do it, but, you know, knowing full well that he's on the right track anyway. And she's on to caddy number 11. 11th caddy, Steve. Yeah, okay, well... Isn't that unbelievable? She's, like I said, recent success would indicate she hopefully she's turned the corner and she's back on the rails. Yeah. Because, but the, she's just wasted two years of her, of her career and, and, you know, going from number one to number 16 in those two years is... There's there's something badly wrong there. If she needs caddy number twelve, we know a bloke. He's currently otherwise engaged. Uh, world diplomacy is his thing at the moment. <laughs> Dean Hurden, um, but down the track, you know, you never know. He might after he's he, he's solved the the North Korea issue. The, <laughs> after he's got the two countries reunified through his caddying activities across right. the demilitarized zone, he might come back and and help Lydia. He's got them holding hands. There. He has got them holding across, hands. Little, that little brick fence that they were jumping across. Wasn't it lovely to see that? That was beautiful. Yeah, yeah and those, those overalls, those caddy overalls they yeah. were wearing. And the haircut. Let his hair, go, he's had, let his hair go a bit. Kim, <laughs> Kim Jong, isn't he? We're going to go. This has been Inside Golf. And no, it hasn't. <laughs> Jeez, I'm really, you've, got me all conf- you've got me all confused, Larry. We have Inside to, Spin by Backgolf. We have to go. This has been Backspin. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Stephen. You can go and calm down. We'll be back again in the near future. Of course, thanks to Inside Golf. Inside Golf.